Sorry, Matt, do I have to bring it up? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> it was 15 years ago. <laughs> Who's on the show? Mads? Okay, yeah, I'll bring it up. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. Hello and welcome along to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe and together with Guinness. I'm Eamre Constein and I'm joined this week and every week by Eam Madigan. We'll be joined later on by former Connacht and Munster and current Benetton Treviso number 10, Ian Keatley, but we're delighted right now to have Munster and Ireland captain and the newly married Kira Griffin on with us for a chat. Kira Junior, welcome to the show. Cheers. Thanks a million, Eamre. Great to be here. So I find it very strange to call you Kira Griffin. Um, to anyone who plays rugby with Kira Griffin will know that on the field we call her junior and there's no surname, there's nothing else, it's just junior. Um, is that just a rugby thing? Uh, no, my family start calling me junior now. Um, so like sometimes <laughs> mom and dad would call me junior. Um, but yeah, I know like you, you know yourself, I, I don't react to Kira or Kira Griffin. If you call me junior... You get my uh, attention straight away, but Kira takes a few seconds. I know it's funny calling you Kira, like in in proper things like this, or when people do interviews with you, it's with Kira Griffin. But like, where did it come from? Like, have you every as long as I've known you from the very first day I yeah. walked into Munster training and saw you there, I've known you as Junior, and it's just always been there. Oh yeah, was that when you ran at me when it was touch? Was it? Um... <laughs> I'll explain myself. Junior is after coming back from Ireland camp, thinking she was, you know. Great. No, I did not. I knew she was. <laughs> and she holds the grudge against me for life that I went against her, just trying to put her back in her place for um, on the Irish squad coming back into Munster oh, training. I wish. Uh, yeah, I say though. But yeah, junior came my first year at Munster. Um, I remember I was under, I played under 18s the year before and I actually was still eligible, eligible for under 18s, but I went for senior trials just to try it. And I got in the squad. Um, and so, like, I was the youngest in the squad by a good bit. So um, I got called junior. Um, so I've been junior ever since. But, um, you know, cool runnings. You know, movie cool yeah. with junior with the egg. Yeah. So um, <laughs> Hob, Heather O'Brien, um, I think I used to have, Hob and Ben Martin, I used to have to say, um, you know, that the saying, I see pride, I see power. That was the thing. So, like, me being a young young player on the squad, I was like learning off this saying to make sure I could say it properly uh, whenever they called it. But no, so it, it just has stuck ever since. Like I've just been junior. Yeah, I think in rugby, like, you know, where nicknames are obviously very popular, but I think for a young guy coming in or a young girl coming into a squad, when you get given a nickname, it can actually be a kind of very welcoming thing. You kind of feel, all right, I'm part of the group now. Like I've, you know, they've branded me with something and, um, over the years that I've been involved, like some funny nicknames come about and it's it's generally when someone doesn't like the nickname that it really sticks if they try and fight it a bit. <laughs> yeah. No, Do I you have one Um my I am generally called Mads, but like that was only really when uh Joe Schmidt came into Leinster, he started calling me Mads and it just kind of stuck off the back of that. But um yeah, look, I like that. I think you know, I don't know what his thought process was behind calling me. It probably was a bit mad and a bit hard to control. But um, yeah, I, I think most players have one. I don't know if you have one, Emer. No, 
bossy boots or something oh, you like do. that. Oh, Eminator. <laughs> Eminator. She, she does have Eminator. one. Eminator. I am never. I am never leaving this down. Like even even the last week, we were out for dinner with a few of my friends, and you know the way you have to sign your name with um, for contact tracing at the moment in restaurants. My friend just wrote all our names down, but then she was like, put your number there down beside your name. And she had written Emernator. And I was like, for God's sake, like it's a year on and it's never going away. Thankfully, Ian, you were probably um, abroad for all of that, but you missed the constant air ads or head of the World Cup where like I played people's screens for a full summer. So I apologize. I did not realize how much it was going to um, annoy people, but it was, oh my God, if I got paid for every time that ad got played, I'd be very rich person at the moment. Anyway, um, did you have a good Christmas, both of you? Yeah, it was great. Lovely Christmas. Uh, flu, but uh, no, loved it. We, um, we had to have two Christmas dinners, so uh, still, I'm still full from that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was great. It was funny, obviously, this year with, um, with all that's gone on, like usually we'd spend the day calling around to both sides of our families, but... Um, to be honest, I was knackered from training. I was happy out just camping up in the house and, and spending time with, with mum and dad. And um, yeah, looked different this year, but it was very enjoyable all the same. Is it strange to, to have like, would you be watching what you're eating? You know, obviously with the Interpro games around Christmas time, like is your Christmas dinner, you've probably never known any different though for as a professional rugby player playing games at Christmas time. Yeah, like uh, it, Literally for the last whatever ten years, it's been you know a huge part. But the the Christmas games are something I really look forward to. I don't I don't mind the kind of few sacrifices you have to make, whether it's you know not going out or watching what you eat, you know, making sure you're staying on top of your training. Um, but I find it's a time that the squad really comes together. You know, you're um, you're all in it together. You, you're coming in. You're making sure you get a good training week done, and then in the lead up to, lead up to the game. You know it's going to be a real match, and obviously they're they're always interpros in Ireland. So um, yeah, look, it's it's a, you know you've obviously got to keep an eye on what you're eating and what you're drinking. But I still you know took into my Christmas dinner, and um, it was no different this year. Fairness to my dad, he did the cooking for the first time this year, so the expectations were low. But in fairness to him, he stepped up, and uh, it was great. Well, look, you're still alive anyway and you had a good performance last night and we're, we're hoping to have lots of rugby talk um, with a couple of COVID-related COVID game postponements in the Guinness Pro 14. However, both Munster's home match against Leinster and the Zebra game against Ian's Benetton were both postponed. But there was Guinness Pro 14 action last night as Ulster travelled to Galway to take on Connacht. I was in the sports grounds working with TG Carr and it is always the coldest place and a very difficult place to get a win, Ian, but a good 32-19 win for Ulster. You must be delighted with that. Yeah, it was a great win for us, you know, in really tough conditions. Um, we went in, I think it was 14-9 down at half time, And I think Connacht had had, you know, about 80% of the possession. But we knew that that was actually a really good result for us. We were going to be coming out in the second half playing with the wind and, and the slope there. And it was a very satisfying performance obviously it's been a tough couple of weeks for us you know we lost to Toulouse lost to Gloucester in two games that we you know could have easily won um, and then obviously with the you know the announcement of Marcel leaving you know we definitely felt as a, as a group that we were under under pressure to make sure we weren't going to go three losses in a row and um, you know the, the flip side of that is we've kept our win streak going in, in, in the, the Guinness Pro 14 so 
hopefully we can make it 10 in a row against Munster. Oh, God. We've two Munster women on here now. <laughs> oh. But um, Dan, Dan McFarlane was pretty happy. Like, even before the game, he said, like, your, your record against Connacht away in the sports grounds wasn't very good. I don't think you've got a win since 2015 in the sports grounds. Like, it's not an easy place to get a win. So, like, it wasn't looking very well in the first half. But, like, what? Like what happened at halftime or did you guys as a squad pick yourselves up at halftime or what was said or who spoke in the dressing room? Because it was a completely transformed Ulster team that came out in the second half. And yes, the conditions changed and yes, the wind picked up. And I don't know, did you know the wind was going to pick up? But it all worked. It all worked in your advantage for the second half. Yeah, certainly. Like we went in at halftime and for the amount of possession that Connacht had had to, to have only been five points up, um, we knew the game was going to swing back our way. And it was really impressive in that first half that we just hung in there. And when Connacht did score, and they scored two great tries, at least we made them work really hard for them. You know, it was, you know, multiple phases, loads of scrums, lots yeah. of big defensive sets from us. And that, you know, really galvanizes a team. You know, it was, we were all in it together, digging in deep. And, and you know, even for the Connacht lads, I'm sure they felt like, you know, Jesus, it's actually very hard to get over the line against these lads. Um, and then we came out in the second half. In fairness to you know LB, he controlled things really well, kept us kept us moving forward. Our pack really stepped up with you know just holding on to the ball, and um, you know we knew that if we just kept this, the scoreboard ticking over, and then we snuck in for a try, and suddenly then it, it's really difficult for Connacht. You know you're playing into a really stiff breeze to then have to go the length of the pitch to try and get themselves back in the game, which they did once. In fairness to them. Um, it was a simple game plan, but I think with that, if everyone buys into it, it doesn't really matter how you win. Like it's it's just about getting a win, especially on the road and and around Christmas time. I don't think you see too many away wins. I think you know I'm sure Leinster, if that game had gone ahead, I think that would have been a really tough game for them in in, in Thomond Park. It's completely different though without the crowds. Like the sports grounds traditionally is hard to go to, <clears throat> and the same with Thomond Park. You know they're hard places to get wins on the road, but. Like last night, it was bizarre and you could hear everything like and every single moment you guys celebrated, like every turnover, every double hit, you could hear screams from the sideline. And I don't know, was it because it was just an empty stadium? But I really think the Inch Pros one are different. They're very intense and people and there's a lot of rivalry between them. But last night, I've never I haven't seen the rivalry between the teams. Like I know obviously it got a bit hot-headed for uh, like for celebrations at one stage but would that have happened whether it was Leinster whether it was Munster is it just an interpro thing or is it just like but you guys celebrated every win last night yeah I, I think in a game like that when you're playing in poor conditions you know you're not you're not going to be celebrating an amazing try when you know there's 15 passes loads of offloads um so I suppose you're what you end up having to celebrate is the smaller win, someone getting over the ball, getting a turnover, you know, coming up with a big hit, forcing a knock on. And, you know, with, without the crowd in the stadiums, you've got to be able to create that atmosphere. And we're very lucky with some of the young guys coming through, the likes of, you know, James Hume, Stuart Moore, these young guys, they're, you know, full of energy and, and they feed off that. Like when, you know, when someone else does something well, they'll be the first to go up and, you know, give them an ass tap and, you know, smack them on the back and say, well done. And that's an energizer. Every player feeds off that, um, you know, and then when they do something positive, they get it back off all the other guys. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, Kira as, as captain, you know, I'm sure that's a big, big part of what, 
what you'd be looking to do and um you know what would you what would you view your kind of your your leadership style as captain yeah i suppose you might be a good one to ask her um would you i be similar i think to say like i love that you can ask i love breakdown i love turnovers i love hitting rocks or being a menace and uh I think it's those mini things, those mini victories that are so important in, in games. And like, I remember like just with the weather outside, our game in Donnybrook in the Six Nations against Wales, it was Baltic um, and it was freezing. And at half time, it just like changed and it started sheeting down. And like similarly, we brought it really tight and just trucked it, trucked it, trucked it. But like, I think we all just got such a buzz off that because everyone just bought into it. And it was just like the mini wins, sealing over the ball, getting a, a goal presentation, things like that. That fine, we got some great tries in terms of intercepts and all that. But a lot of it is the mini things. I think the small victories make such difference. And like you said, you get like another gear out of it. You, you don't feel tired. You get a, a real great buzz, and you want to keep going. Um, I think there, I, I love the the mini. The mini victories to be honest yeah certainly I, I think as well and i'm sure you're relate to this aimer like being stuck out in the wing in, in poor conditions you know you've it, it no but it's very easy to to almost feel like you're out of the game you know and and i'd always say to you know our back three guys look just keep finding your voice like keep the conversations going you know keep talking and you'll, you'll actually end up feeling like you're much more in the game even though you might have done very little then when the opportunity comes your way, you, you know, you're still connected with the game as opposed to just waiting out in your wing, getting cold. And then by the time the opportunity comes to you, it's almost like a bit of a shock. Yeah, 100%. And even like, I suppose you just have to adapt to the game plan. And last night, you know, it wasn't pretty rugby. You weren't going to see slick offloads and nice little kicks through. Like it was just keep the ball and keep possession. And that's what you did. And you trucked through and you made game line. And it was simple, simple rugby. And similarly, going back to what Junior said there about the Welsh game, like that was, it was actually called Storm Kira that day, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was Storm Kira. Um, and it was hilarious, like, just because obviously Junior's our captain, but it was horrendous. Like, we were we were just carrying the ball, but, like, we weren't doing anything special that day, but just carrying the ball meant that the Welsh girls didn't have the ball, and it just frustrated them. And, you know, all it took was just one missed tackle, and then we got a try. But And similarly, similarly to you last night, you know, you trucked away at the basics, and you did the basics right. Yeah, there was hand and nerves. Yeah, there was mistakes, but... You know, it's the basics that, that will get you through rugby games and sometimes winter rugby um, will do that to you. But um, I suppose going on to a completely different thing, but similarly with the Rainbow Cup that's been newly announced, you know, that will be an opportunity for players to play in in summer condition, in summer first off in South Africa, another chance. You know, there's a lot of talk about it and we will chat about the, the Rainbow Cup later with Ian Keatley. With the other piece of news and someone who I actually would think is very similar to you, Junior, used to play at six and now currently at eight, is Marcel Coutier. Um, Really physical, really dominant in the breakdown, very similar players actually. But we had him on the show last week. But the big news is that Marcel Coutier is leaving Ulster um, <coughs> to join the Bulls. Is that disappointing for you guys up in Ulster, Ian? Yeah, certainly. Like it's it's disappointing for for the players, and it's disappointing for the for all the supporters. And the the reason it's disappointing is because he's such a good player, and he's been so good for Ulster over the last few years. Um, and you know, Marcel came in uh, during the week, and and he, he you know he asked to speak to the the player group, and he stepped up and he spoke really well, and he kind of gave his reasons why 
you know, he wanted to go home. And I think it's really important to note he is going home. He's going back to his home country to play for, you know, a club in South Africa. And, you know, it's been tough, like, you, especially over the last year through the lockdowns and, you know, being away from home, away from your family. Um, guys relate to that. And Marcel was was straight up with the group, which, we you know, we all really respected. And he gave his reasons and the respect we have from him there is, as you, as you know, as you saw on the show last week, the energy he brings in, you know, across the board in training every day, every time in, in games, he's the guy who's leading from the front. So the respect we have for him is, is through the roof. And um, it was probably, it was actually the first time after generally when a player gets up and announces he's leaving, it's, it's kind of stone silence. And then you just move on with, with the meeting or whatever, but, he got a seriously big round of applause, which I thought was was a lovely touch, but it was also a measure of the man that he is and the respect that he had within the group. Um, and even after, you know, guys going up and hugging him and saying, look, um, you know, let's make the most of this season, you know, and, and, and really enjoy that. And um, let's not focus on on any of the negatives that, that might be out there. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I, after chatting to him last week, like you can really see how much of a good guy he is. And I think that was great that the Ulster fans and Irish fans can see, you know, the character he has. But also, he really did speak about his love of his farm and where he lives and how he it's a sanctuary to him. And like it almost made you want to go visit where he where he lives. Um, I checked it out on Instagram as well. What was the name of it? The the place he's living on. And it's just like animals all around. Like it's crazy. So like you, you don't blame someone for wanting to go home and wanting to play, you know, with the Bulls who are a super team. And obviously, you know, in a, in a year where his aim is to get onto that, that Lions tour. It's also important to note as well. He's been unlucky. Like he missed out on the World Cup in 2015. He was unlucky with an injury in the, the 2019 World Cup. Um, he wants to go back and really be part of that that Lions tour and and you know live it with with the South African players and then continue on with one of the the South African franchises. So um, yeah, it was funny. He actually mentioned he was like, oh, "Look, it's going to be it's going to be really shit playing against you guys in the Rainbow Cup." And um, someone shouted out, "It's going to be really shit for us." <laughs> so, <laughs> But um, yeah, look, it'll certainly be an interesting one playing it, playing against him next year. Well, look, the good news is he's here till the end of the season, so we have lots um, of Marcel Coutier left in an Ulster jersey, which is good. So, Kira, we'll focus on you, and we'll start off with where you started. I suppose you started off with GAA down in Kerry. Um, how did you get into rugby, and was there like women's rugby or girls' rugby when you were growing up in Castle Island? Yeah, I like I said, I was a big GA head. Um, I played football, handball, all growing up. Um, but Dad was actually always involved with the rugby club um, locally, Castle Island RC in town. And um, like I always remember, I scored some of the matches with him. Like I was only on the sideline, like watching him. Like he was coaching, and I'd be there, like making sure the water bottles are filled. Or I like Dad always had a thing where he took his socks his pants into his socks and sure I'd be doing the same thing in the sideline with dad like so I'd be like trying to be like his mirror image um and so I always saw rugby and had rugby that way and um and then I kind of like I really wanted to start playing and me and Fiona my sister used to always play at home like that the one thing with dad being a coach there was always <laughs> rugby balls around the house and cones so we great crack that way but um then when I was 14 I kind of got onto I suppose I was pestering really I was like dad can we have a team I've no like I was going around school. I was like, 
you, you'd like to play rugby. Like, yeah, come on, you'll try it. You'll play rugby. And I was like getting all my friends to kind of get the pressure on and to get numbers for our team. And uh, finally, we got it. Um, thankfully, John Mack and Breed O'Donoghue, um, they were brilliant. They were my first coaches in Cass Island. And um, I love it. I, I remember my first session. Pouring rain, standards, middle of winter. And we got to play on the all-weather pitch in Cass Island. And I used to love that pitch. Um, and got to train there. And just that's where it took off from. Um, got to train and play away. I think I played was it two matches or three matches my first year. But that was brilliant. Like I remember my first match was in Abbey Field, um, under fourteens and I just loved every minute of it. It was I loved it. Um so kinda I got the bug from then and kinda it took off really. Um so yeah, thankfully dad um dad listened to all my pestering and we got a team. <laughs> I think the the funniest thing there is that like for you, Ian, probably like you as a male rugby player have always had the pathways in place for you. Like you never have to go begging for a team. You wouldn't stand on a sideline with your mom coaching a women's team and not have a team for you guys. So it's just a completely different shift in mindset. And I think Junior, you're one of the lucky ones also that did start off with rugby at 14. There's quite a lot of women. Like you were 10 years ahead of me for rugby. Like you've 10 years more played than I have. Like I joined rugby at 23. So you know, I think you're really, really lucky and there's more girls like you and Daro and Bavin, um, yeah. Judy and the likes, you know, Leah, that have played rugby from a young age and you guys are the, the lucky ones, I suppose. But what was your pathway from then into the Munster and into the Irish setups? Oh, yeah, that, um, geez, that, was, that seemed like ages ago now. But um, I played under 14s and under 16s with Castle Island. Um, and then I went to Mary I, the college, but I was actually still under, like I was still under 18s. So I went to St. Mary's there for a year, played, played with St. Mary's. Um, it's actually then I realised you could actually play for Munster. I never realised there was a Munster women's or a girls team under 18s. And I remember Chloe Pierce actually, she was at Mary's and I was like, she was like, oh, you go for trials. Was Mary's as well? No, just Chloe when I was there. Um, okay. And I remember Chloe, I was like, there's no, like, there's no Munster under 18s. She's like, no, there is. And she's like, you should go for trials. And I was like, I won't make that a fit, like not a hope. But um, <laughs> I remember, um, like I was like, I remember Dad. Um, oh, he was a legend. I was in Mary I, so and the trials were in CIT, and the way my lectures worked, I the last bus I would be late for the trials. So Dad drove from Kerry to Limerick, collected me in Limerick, drove from Limerick to CIT, um, brought me for my trial, uh, watched the whole trial. Was there like, and I remember never like he was standing in, and he was just such a like a security blanket honestly because I was out of my comfort zone um, they actually thought because I was from Kerry I'd be a good full back and I remember I was like oh Jesus like, <laughs> I remember I went in like and sure I was afraid I was afraid to say anything so I was like yeah okay no bother um, so I was in full back but sure I was laughing because I kept going into the rock and you know yourself as full backs like you're not meant to be in all the rocks so like no. I'd be rushing up into all these rocks and hitting them and everything and There'd be no one in the backfield and I'd be sprinting back to the court. Oh, but um, they were like, they were lies halfway through. Okay, she's a forward. Like, so for the second half, I went into the pack and sure, it kind of went from there. And remember, got on the under 18 squad. We played two matches. We played Connacht at home, up and at, um, we played Connacht, we beat Connacht and Ulster. Sorry, it was Leinster and we played Leinster and Turles. Freezing day and we won both our matches. And then from there, got onto the Munster senior squad, played at Munster for a few years. Um, I, I got, then after, I think it was my third year at Munster, 
I got called in for a trial for Ireland. Um, delighted, absolutely buzzing. But you know yourself, when you're a young player in your own head, you're always saying, yeah, I'm ready. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely ready. I'm strong enough. I'm big enough for a squad. Which I was tiny. Like Looking back, like, Jesus, I don't know how I even thought it. But um, obviously didn't get my first trial. Um, obviously was disappointed. But like I got feedback, worked on my feedback. Second time... I was like, you got a second trial. I was like, yeah, I worked on all the work guns for my first time and got stronger. Like, I, you can ask him at home. I lived in the gym. Like, I was in the gym the whole time, constantly running, really strict in my diet. So much that my parents nearly cracked up in that low. Like, I, I'd have to make my own separate dinners, my own food. Like, I was very, very strict to myself. Um, and then my, I remember I didn't get the second trial and I was just oh, totally dejected. Like, I was like, what am I doing wrong? Um, didn't know what I was doing wrong. Uh, went back into the gym again. Um, and then I remember it was during the Interpros before the final against Leinster, Tom Tierney rang me and said, look, we'd like you to come onto the Irish squad. And I'll never forget, like, I was just over the moon. Um, buzzing. Like I was just, oh yeah, I bought, of course, they bought my eyes out. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, or like delighted. And then, I went up, we played Leinster and we beat Leinster in the final and I was just buzzing. Like I was like, oh, I, I'll never forget that that campaign. It was uh, 2015 and it was just up in Tone Park, beat them and it was just amazing. And it was like, yeah, I, I'm ready now. I know I can go into this squad. And then when then we had our first camp in October um, and I broke my leg in my very first contact, my very first contact drill. <laughs> so I was like, right, um, so I had that and I'll never forget. I was like, first of all, it was just like, you know me, like I love contact. I love contact drills. I was like, right, this is my bread and butter. I'm going to love this savage. Uh, simple, didn't I tackle. And just the way I was tackled and landed, my leg just, just snapped. And I was like, I heard a crack and I was like, nah, it's definitely, it's fine. So I got the physio to strap it. I was like, just strap it there. And I remember oh I ran two links. Yeah. And I ran, I ran a link to the field and I was like, I was like, oh, I just, it feels a bit like it kind of, you know, it kind of kept giving way a bit. And I was like, oh, there's something wrong here. Like, I was like, no, it's, it's, it's not fully right. <laughs> and so then I got a scan and it was actually broken. I was like, oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah. To you, that sounds yeah. bizarre. But for girls who know Junior, that literally sums up her. Like, it's, <laughs> you, like what, was, what did you say? You have to be dead to be carried off. You have to be dead to go off the field. Like, that's her motto. Oh, like. yeah. Yeah, I'd have to a broken femur. I used to be unconscious. Other than that, you should be That's in the defensive line. Oh my god! <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll never forget it. But like, I remember when it happened. I was like, it's like pure surreal because you know sometimes when you sprain your ankle, you kind of hear a crack. And I was like, probably just a sprain. But should I got the scan? And I saw I was literally in half, and I was like, okay. And um, I remember actually Briggsy, um, she was brilliant. She brought me up to camp that time, and. Uh, I remember I was trying to, I was petrified about telling mom and dad. Like, I remember I was actually sick to my stomach at the thought of telling him. And um, I was in the car with Briggsy and she was weak at how I was explaining it. I was like, I let the conversation go on for a few minutes. And I was like, so yeah, a bit of news. Like, um, I got hurt. I kind of, I kind of, I was like, I kind of broke my leg. And they were like, what? I was like, but I broke my, I was like, but I broke my fibula. It's the best bone to break. So I broke the best bone in my leg. It only takes five weeks. <laughs> like that was my that was my mindset. Like I was like, oh, of all the bones, it was the best bone to break. So I was back, but 
like I remember I was back in the gym, I was still in the soft cast. Um, Yak, my coach with Charlie, he was like, you're mad. I was like, look, I, I got a yoga, you're the yoga balls. Um, so I kind of half inflated that. So it was that, so I put my leg on that. So I was able to bench, do all uppers the whole time. And like, even in the gym in Tralee, they knew me like, cause I used to come in with my crutches, my big green cast, and I'd have a skateboard and a backpack. I'd be going around my skateboard. So um, <laughs> I'd be able to, yeah, literally, so I could go on the roar. So I'd have like one leg in the roar, one leg, my cast on the skateboard. And I'd be flying away like. Oh my God. Yeah, they knew me, like they, they just knew. And there was actually, you wouldn't, there was a few yoga balls there and they actually just deflated <laughs> one for me. And I would hurt my crutch, hitting it along as I was going so I could do all my exercises. <laughs> but, uh, I yeah, actually remember but, uh, seeing a video, I think Sonny Bill Williams, had, he tore his Achilles and it was he had some similar kind of contraption. I'm not sure if it was a skateboard, but he was on the rower. And it just yeah. shows you where, where there's a will, there's a way. But I think it's, yeah. it, you know, while... You know that, like do, getting on the rower, it mightn't be a game changer while you're injured, but it's just having that mindset of I'm gonna get get what I can done here, and then yeah. when you come back, like that mental strength that you you've kind of built up through the injury really kind of stands you in good stead when you when you get back involved with the team. Yeah, that's it. Because I was like, I could mope and be upset, or I could get a stronger upper body, and I was like, look, I can work my uppers here, get bigger shoulders, and uh, yeah, it worked out for me and. I remember I got back in, like, I remember I healed within five weeks, um, you know, so I broke it in October, November. I think by the end of December, I was back running and everything. So, like, I was really lucky in terms of my recovery and my rehab went well. Um, like, and I was back in camp for the first week of January, um, fighting for a place for Six Nations. So, like, I only missed maybe three camps in one match, you know, so it could have been a lot worse. Um, so, the timing's everything, I suppose. But um, So, yeah, it, it could. And then... Yeah, I got into 2016, uh, made the squad and got my first cap against Wales up in Donnybrook. Um, it kind of took off from there, really. So, yeah, I, I kind of, it's been a roller coaster since then, a whirlwind. But, yeah, I'll never forget. I, those few months really stick out. But I think I think it's things like that. Like, you know yourself from injury. It's They kind of they make you appreciate it so much more. And especially when you get injured, just when you get in, you're like, for God's sake, like the world's against you. But it kind of makes you realise, no, it's, it's worth it like you... You fought so hard to get a chance that you're not going to leave a small injury, like take the chance away from you. Yeah, look for for me listening to here, Kira, you know it's incredible hearing your your drive, and you know it's no wonder that you're you're captain of the of the, of the team. Um, how how did that come about? Was it you know was it something that you 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 would have liked before you you were given the opportunity or? Um... Yeah, I, to be honest, um, I never thought I'd be captain or I never, it's not something I, I always just wanted to play, play for Ireland, be a back rower, you know, just be a solid, like be, be a solid player. That was always my goal. Um, and I kind of just, when I go out and play, it's just totally just to go out, cause havoc, enjoy it. Um, and I never saw myself as a leader, I suppose, like, like, thought that myself and I'll never forget the phone call from, from Griggs, um, I was actually teaching and um, I got him his call and it was from Adam. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. I was like, I'm getting dropped. I was like, something's going like, you know, it was just in my head. I was like, check it. I was like, I was like, I'm doing something bad or something, something bad. Like, I was like, Shh. I was like, oh my God. And then I remember like, I ran out at lunchtime and rang back and um, and he's actually, would you like to be, be captain? And I was like, he's like, you can think about it. And I was like, 
no yeah I was like 100% like I don't need to think about it like of course so like I had to go back in and into into the staff room pretend nothing happened like and I was internally freaking or like jumping up and down like and are you telling me I had to go, hmm? are you telling me you didn't cry are you telling me no, you didn't cry no I actually I didn't cry no <laughs> imagine but um, I remember I rang I got off the phone with Adam and I rang dad straight away and dad was just like he was over the moon. He was shocked. Like you could hear he was shocked, but he was just thrilled. And then I rang Damien as well. And they were both like shocked, but over the moon. And then she was like, okay, I have to go. I have to go back to class. So I just like hung off the phone and back in. And like, sure, like I wasn't focused on what I was teaching at all after. Like my head was totally gone. And I was like, yeah, I do some handwriting or do you know what? Like, I couldn't. Um, you can write so, down Captain of Ireland, Kira yeah, in your handwriting. Oh, but like, the thing is, I actually, um, <laughs> not bad for Damien, but like, we actually got engaged at Christmas. And then it's like a week later, I was asked to be captain. And sure, like, that kind of totally overshadowed the poor engagement. But um, <laughs> it's all right. Like, he, underst- he understood. He was fine about it. But, um, yeah, that that was brilliant. And I remember when they announced at a camp, um, the girls like you they were just, you were just brilliant. And you know, I I had their backing from straight away and I think that makes it so much easier when you know the whole squad is behind you because you're like, Grand, it's just normal, nothing changes. Um, and that was massive for me and I'll never forget that, like in that room when they announced it and the girls actually gave a round of applause and I remember my I just my I got chills and um yeah, I'll never forget that moment, and it kind of took off from there. And I suppose I'm doing, I'm still in the still in the job, so I'm not doing too bad. Hopefully, <laughs> so we'll, we'll keep going. I'll I'll never forget it either. I was actually in New Zealand on after the World Cup of 2017. I went to went traveling, and I was in New Zealand in a hotel in a hostel. And I remember reading the news, or you would text, or someone had texted a junior's captain. And you know, you've ultimately like instantly you're just happy. And I I imagine like I wasn't there when it was announced, but. I think from the start, nobody, like everyone was, it's just for people that don't know Junior, it's just, it's your unassumingness that like you just do a job, you go out in the field and you do your job and you don't talk unless you need to talk. And when Junior talks, everyone listens. And like, you don't talk for the sake of talking and everyone in the squad will say the exact same thing. And um, like to be captain of Ireland at 24, from the outside looking in, people might think that's crazy. But for anyone in the squad who knows you, and that's a blow. I don't. I hate being in you up here. It's going to kill me listening back to this. <laughs> <laughs> but for anyone who doesn't know her, she loves the limelight. Now nah, it's like she hates the limelight. Oh yeah. <laughs> she just wants to play rugby and hit rocks and win and get everyone in the defensive line. And genuinely, people do it for you. And like even that day that you got injured in in Donnybrook um, playing against the USA and you weren't there for that game in Twickenham. Like our performance was based on the fact that we were doing this for junior. And that was one of our best games and one of my most memorable games. And it was because our pre-game speech was junior would love to be here. Let's do it for her. And like every team talk and Ian, you joke, I joke at you for crying half the time. But Kira, (laughs) you've met your match. You have met your match with Kira Griffin here. Like, there is not I'd say there's not a, a speech, there's not a there's not a halftime talk, there's not a pre-game talk, there's not a jersey presentation that she doesn't cry at. And it's her emotion that she brings. Like we joke at her and she jokes at herself when she's in the middle of a speech and the tears come. 
but it's the emotion that she brings and that's why like you feel it every single thing she does is for the green or the red or whatever jersey she has on her and it's the pride that she has in it and people on the outside don't see that but we do and and she's still captain so she's doing a good enough job she's a yeah. she's doing a good job for sure um junior how do you find it though like how do you find captaining everyone and trying to manage all of us um yeah she find it okay like a grand like um at the start i remember i i think i was taking you know you're trying to take too much on your shoulders or trying to do too much but now like with everyone everyone has their own role like the, like you're all the girls are brilliant in that everyone helps with different things do you know so like it's not all falling on on the one person i think that's really important that i suppose as leaders as a leader our leaders have to realize that we're all here for the same reason do you know so you're here to play rugby for your country you're here to improve here to get better and like that's an intrinsic motivation that everyone has and you don't have to bring that you shouldn't have to bring that out because you should have that to be there if that makes sense and it's just kind of fine-tuning it um and that's what i kind of realized that i think at the start i was kind of focusing a lot on everyone else if that makes sense and forgot about my own game for a while um say the first year i'd say and then i kind of realized okay look you, you when you play well you know it, it helps so i just kind of said look i started focusing on me a little bit and my own game and what i can control and working my work on and what i can improve and i think i've found since i've started focusing on that as well it's it's made a lot easier if that makes sense and that um i just love it. it it kind of comes a second nature now um and like and like as you said i'll only talk when i need to talk um sometimes i'm just pure silent and that's fine um other times Which I gives you the dirty look. <laughs> yeah, uh, you get the teacher look, you know, right? Let's 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 start walking <laughs> here, but uh, yeah, that's it, really. Like I've, I love it. I uh, now looking back on it, I, I, I don't think I change anything. I, I actually, I love being captain. It's a massive honor, captaining your country. Like not to mind wearing the green, but actually getting the captain, your, the girls, and captaining. It's it's brilliant. And like me and Dame, we were actually talked about it last week, where I was saying like, Jesus. You know how lucky am I getting to play for my country, but also get the captain such a great bunch of Lake girls. Like so, um, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing, and I, I love every minute of it. Yeah, Kira. Obviously, as captain, you know your your voice would have the biggest pull within within the the women's game. Um, you know, we've spoken on the show before about you know the challenge with, with resources. You know, with, it, you know, obviously the the French team and and the English team are are fully professional. Um. Is there any changes that you'd like to see going forward? You know, I know for me personally, when I was in Bristol, uh, we worked in tandem with the ladies team. The guys used to go down and coach a bit. And a lot of the time that the ladies would come and, and, and view and help out with our sessions. Um, is that something that you'd like to see in, in, in Ireland with, with the national team and also with a, a provincial level at Munster? Yeah, I think that'd be class because like we all have the same goal. You know, we all want to put in the best performances and like, like, like obviously the lads, you have, you have more caps because you, you suppose you get more games, you get more things like that, opportunities. And I think you learn so much from playing. And that's that, that rugby intelligence you get in games and experience and that match day experience. And I think I think we can draw, everyone can draw so much from each other and vice versa. I think it'd be nice, I, like you said, to have that working relationship. And I think it's great in Bristol, that's what he did because... Like I remember, like in Bose for years, the lads used the senior lads used to train the girls, and they loved it. Um, um, so I think I love this like a working partnership, like a kind of yeah, brilliant. Because yeah, it was the same it was, in Bristol. Like, yeah, 
Yeah, we like we loved yeah. it in Bristol, and it was funny because you know we were going down and, and and coaching a bit with the ladies. We were we were reinforcing um, with them what we should have been doing ourselves, and then it almost became more second nature to us. So it was, it, it, you know, I think giving us that understanding, and as well, I suppose just having that ability to coach is something that you know we're all you know a lot of players are going to use when when they finish up playing um but yeah I, I definitely think that that's something i'd like to see more of like i'm sure if if you got on to peter omani or, or johnny sexton I, I i think i think that that's something that you know the, the the having the men and women's team working together more going forward and sharing the resources is you know for me it just makes sense yeah completely because like we've all been there we all that's why, that's why I think we need to realize as well that you don't have to keep all the knowledge to yourself. Like you're not, like I see myself like with the younger girls coming in, like I try to share everything I know because you want to, like you want to help them and share what you know, what you learned. Um, and it's not like you're keeping everything secret to yourself. That makes sense because oh, if I tell them now, you know, they might get selected ahead of me or you know, things like that. It's, it's actually just share the information because you want the best 15, like you want the best team um, and whether you're on it or you're on this bench or whatever, once it's the best 15, you'll be happy. Um, and that's what I think that's what I've realized. And like you said, I think sharing the information is brilliant because like over there, I was last last month, I was went down to Castle Island. Um, they they're doing they were doing give it a try. And there was like 80, 85 kids. And I was like, oh my God. And there was a good 50% of that was girls. And I was like, brilliant. I am love I am loving this. I'm like, they were there from under sixes to under 12s, under 14s. And there was girls in every group. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, and they were flying. And I was like, and like you said, I was just doing a few teaching points, a few teaching cues. And I was like, geez, I should start doing this myself properly. Because like, yeah. like you have the cues, but it's to do it yourself as well. But like, you'll coach it perfectly. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe I should start doing this in game. But, um, and it's like, like it's pa- brilliant. Passing, and like, <laughs> I got three. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go catch, on, Aaron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teach him how to pass. Well, I got three passes in the last game, so that's a PB for me. So look, we'll, we'll keep it at that. But uh, yes, yeah, so we think like that. But Emer, uh, I'll pass when you're in a good position to catch it. Okay, that's what I'll pass. Thanks, right. thanks, Gio. Makes me to catch it. And um, we can't go without mentioning the fact you've mentioned your dad quite a bit as being your influence. But there's another very important man in your life, and you were recently married. What two weeks married? So you're currently. Are we interrupting you from your honeymoon at the moment? Congratulations, no, by the way. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Emil. Yeah. Uh, uh, look, happiest girl in the world, to be honest. Um, yeah, still buzzing from it. Um, I'm a very, very lucky girl. Um, got married on the 17th of December because um, we were meant to get married in July, but obviously with the pandemic, uh, we couldn't. And look, we're, we're very fortunate to have got married um, this month. Um, and to be honest, we wouldn't change a thing. It was just perfect. Um with the smaller numbers, you wouldn't even realize it. It felt like there was hundreds of people there, but there was, it was just it was just so close and intimate. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're still on cloud nine. We're just delighted. And as I said, it's great to finally call my husband after all this time uh, putting up with me. Um, as I said, you, you can't do a runner now. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, loving it. We'd, um, we got married in, in my old local church, Ballymac, and then we had our ceremony in Ballycity Castle. Um, and it was fab. It was just magical. Like I think I'm not as Emer says. I'm not one for the limelight or dresses or things like that. But like I loved every second in that castle. Like you felt like a pure princess. It was brilliant. Um, 
So, um, yeah, I just it was magical, to be honest, and we're both loving it. So just enjoying it now for the last few days. We went away for a few days as well, which is lovely. Um, just totally switched off and relaxed. And I think we both remarked it was the only time I wasn't concerned about doing a gym session, doing a rowing session, running. Do you know, I just I switched off for three days and it was actually fab. It was brilliant. So, uh, no, it was really enjoyable. He's a, he's a patient man, as Emer as knows. <laughs> He definitely is, Damien, good man. Um, with this yeah. being our final show, producer Pat had a good idea for the Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame. And we asked you, all our Twitter followers and all our Instagram and Facebook followers, what their highlight, rugby highlight of 2020 was. I'm sure we know what your one is, Junior. But David Callaghan wrote, Argentina in their first game back, beating a full strength New Zealand. The out half and also their captain's performance was outstanding. So David Callaghan, welcome. You are in the Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame. But Ian, what would your your standout moment have been from 2020? Um, obviously very unusual year, but I think for me, being part of the, the Bristol journey over the last three years, um, unfortunately I wasn't able to play in, in the, the final three knockout games in the Challenge Cup, but for for a club like Bristol to have come through the championship, you know, they've been up and down over the last few years and, you know, get promoted, stay in the premiership and then push for trophies last year and seeing them winning silverware was, was, was huge for the club and, and for the city. So, you know, I got a lot of satisfaction from that and, um, was something that I look back with, you know, proudly. So it was, it was great to see them lift that and hopefully they'll go on to better things now. Absolutely. Junior, what about you? A standout rugby moment of 2020? And um, as you said, it was a strange year, but I think one of mine was definitely getting back after after the Six Nations was postponed and getting training as a group again. I think we realised how lucky we were to actually get together and train and get that mat, get get that win and that home win against Italy. I think that that block that block there stood out to me because it just showed. I don't, I think it just showed something changed with us. I think it just there was like that that light bulb moment, I don't know, it just felt it. I was like, yeah, something's changed and everyone bought in and we just got that good performance. But that that was a stand, that was my favourite moment of 2020. Just after everything, the pandemic, all the changes, you know, we got back, we had the same goal, the same focus, and we, just, we went and played in rugby and enjoyed it. I think that for me was my standout. Absolutely. Well, Junior, Keir Griffin, it has been fantastic to have you on and chat to us today. Um, we'll be right back to chat with Ian Keatley. House of Rugby Ireland. Tell us what you think by comment and rating us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Welcome back to part two and we are delighted to be joined by Ian Keatley. Ian, all the way over in Italy at the moment, how has things been over the Christmas period with your wife Lisa and your daughter Beth? Yeah, it's been, uh, I'm my son, my new son now, Quinn. So uh, Quinn just arrived three months ago and uh, they were in Ireland. She actually had the baby in Ireland. So I actually missed the birth, which is a bit upsetting because of like the whole COVID situation. But they're over here now. They came over um, three weeks ago. So it was great to have them here for Christmas. So all happy days now. Brilliant. Congratulations. Very nice. Very busy time for you. So um, your game at the weekend on December 26th against Zebra got postponed after they confirmed a small amount of COVID cases. Um, what's the latest with that over there? Yeah, we, it was, we played Stade Francais and then after we played Stade Francais, we started getting one, two, 
three cases. So um, we were meant to play Agen the week before. And I think we had, I think it ended up being around six or seven cases. So it, it, we took the proper protocol. We stopped training. We, we actually, that week, I think I got tested six times that week. So uh, just, just to take the precautions, it was, it was the right thing to do. We all went into isolation. And then, uh, then it kind of, there was still one or two cases. There were still positive cases the week after. Still the same guys. Uh, but I think it was just taken into account that it would just be player welfare and safety if we just uh, called off the game, which which for rugby players, a game called off at Christmas is actually not too bad. <laughs> too bad a thing. So, uh, <laughs> enjoy our Christmas dinner, so. <laughs> it's probably the same with the Leinster and Munster boys as well. You know, it's obviously a really great, you know, you've been there, you've been in those Interpro games in Thoman Park on Stevens's day and like they're great games, but, you know, without the crowd and everything, it's it's very different this year, but I'm sure the Leinster and Munster boys were enjoying their time off for the for the Christmas as well. Yeah, definitely. Let's, for for the crowds and for the spectators and for for a time, those Stevenson Days games are, are unbelievable. The atmosphere is, is so intense and it's probably, since I came over here, it's probably one of the big things that I, I miss about playing rugby in Ireland, those those inter-derbies with, with the big crowds or playing in the Aviva or, or playing in Thoman Park. Like, I, I knew kind of when I did sign to come over here that that would, would be the biggest things that I've I would have missed and Mads you even know when when you moved to France and, and Bristol like like nothing compares to those games around uh, no. Christmas time or, or those big inter derby games so no they're incredible and um, I was talking earlier on the show you know the, the sacrifices you have to make around Christmas you're, you're delighted to make them as a player because those interpro derbies are incredible and um, they're like the old Irish trials you know everyone's competing to to try and put their best foot forward to try and put their hand up for, for Irish selection and um, you know the rivalries from in camp you know rolling into games is, is brilliant and you know, we, we see that every year. So it was a pity. It was a pity to see that that Leinster Munster game called off. Obviously, it you know as it's transpired. Luckily, there was no actual positive cases. I'm not 100 percent sure what happened, but I think there was maybe some false positives, and then they got retested, and they were they were all good. But um, I know the the supporters really look forward to that game, and off, especially off the back of the two sides going so well. You know, you know they've I think they're both unbeaten this season. It would have been. Um, it would have been great to see one of them lose their unbeaten streak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I even watched like Alfie Lentz have been doing it for a while, but even just watching Munster play at the moment, it looks like all the players are really enjoying it. And they're actually scoring one or two first phase tries or or like three phase tries. And you can see their game is really evolving. And even the forwards interplay is it's actually really enjoyable to watch, but they're still physical. They're still a nuisance at the breakdown, which is kind of like, the old monster uh, traits, and they still play a kicking game, but they've just find, found a bit of variety in their in their game now, a bit of attack, and it's enjoyable to watch. And I say it's enjoyable to play for them. Yeah, certainly. Um, I know you, you're you're fulfilling a similar role to what I had in in my final year in Bristol. Um, obviously, Callum Sheedy was kind of breaking through into the team, and and I, you know, my role ended up turning turning into managing him and improving him as best I could. And obviously with Treviso and, and Italy, Garbisi's really stepped up this year. How have you found working with him? Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a really nice guy and he's really willing to learn. And the first few weeks we were just chatting and just, just trying to give him a bit of, a bit of advice, but talent wise, he's like, 
he, he's fast, he's strong, he's got a he's good good kicker. So <clears throat> I think it's exciting for Italy. Um, obviously, it's a bit of a nuisance for me that. Uh, <laughs> 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 Listen, I'm 33, uh, going to be 34 in April. So, and it's my last year. I don't know whether if I'll play on or not. But so, you, you, as a rugby player, you can see how seasons develop. I think I've been around the game long enough to to know that these happens. And you, I think if it was happening when you're younger, you kind of start having self doubts or or start worrying a bit. But I think as as I said, I'm 33. I've seen I've seen all this happen throughout other years see how the game works, see how we have to develop as a squad and bring young players through. So you can kind of accept it a bit more. And and you almost take a little bit of, I wouldn't say credit, but you, you want to help the younger guys then. You want to see them um, develop and come on because you feel you have to give back to the game a bit. So I, I'm delighted yes. about Paolo coming through. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. Your kind of role does change as, as, your, as your career goes on. And, um, you know, on the flip side of that, when you're, you're you know, a few years younger and you're, you join Munster, you, you know, the, you the pleasure of working with, with Raj. How did, how did you find that? Um, yeah, I found that Raj wouldn't really talk to you or, or, or give you advice. <laughs> like, he wouldn't sit down and mentor you, like, and... I think you. I think everyone saw that when when Sexton came on to the scene with him, with the two of them. Um, but but Raj, you, you just kind of sit back and you watch him. And I, I I found I learned a lot by doing that. I people ask me what like when I went to Connacht, I played a lot. Like I played every game, but I probably didn't learn as much because well, I, I learned by playing, but I didn't learn as much because I didn't have the players like Raj or Dougie Howlett or Paul O'Connell. Uh, Lafimi Mafia at the time and when I went to Munster probably didn't play as much as I did in Connacht but I was just learning to see how they do things how they train their communication like and, and that's how I, I learned more I, I learned more by watching them listening to them um, so that's that's what I felt when I went from Connacht to Munster obviously Connacht has developed on a lot more since since I was there and it's it's great to see that they have really been like they've they've really stepped it up in the last couple of years. Obviously, winning a pro, the Pro 14 when it was, but they're 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 very competitive now nowadays, and they're in the Champions Cup year in year out. So, yeah, certainly. I know you came into rugby late, Emer. Was was there anyone who kind of took you under your wing? Um, obviously, you were kind of late adopter. Obviously, playing Gaelic football through the years, and then and then joining rugby kind of in your early twenties. Yeah. I started off on the wing. I suppose everyone who starts off rugby late probably gets put on the wing and to stay out of the way, really. Um, but I had Ali Miller. She um phenomenal winger. Um, played for Connacht, actually. Plays, still currently plays for Connacht and Belvo at the moment. But, like, she is phenomenal. And she just was always, even though I was her direct competition, she was always, you know, telling me what to do to, like, whether it's, like, you know, you defend this way or do this in the backfield. She was the one that helped me. Um, and then Nora Stapleton was another one. She was 10 and she often, she told me something really wise. I remember in the 2017 World Cup, she she told me that she started off in the wing and then she realised that she wasn't fast enough for the wing and she needed to weigh up her options. And she came from Gaelic football as well. So she said, you know, okay, where are my positions? Where is open? 10 or 15? I'm not big enough for a centre. I'm not good enough for a nine. She's like, I'm either going to be a 10 or a 15. So she looked at the positions and she saw Briggsy at 15. She's like, no way, not Budge and Briggsy. And then looked at the 10 and obviously said, look, there's a vacancy there. So did everything she could to be the best 10 she could. 
and she was one of Ireland's best tens there but like you just have to I suppose adapt to the game as well but she was really that's maybe why I might have moved into 15 at the moment because I'm like right you've got Baven on one wing you've got Lauren Delaney and the okay I can catch a ball so in I am in 15 at the moment so so wise words like that are what or what um what spur you on as a player but Keith you know you chatted about the Munster boys at the moment and about how they're playing like such great as a as a monster woman and obviously you still have monster in your heart and um, you know it's the young guys like it's the young guys coming up that it's really good to see like ben healy at 10 like he's playing cracker i think he's injured at the moment but himself and craig casey they're just phenomenal to watch and i think it's something that monster would have lacked in the last few years was the coming through the academies and the youth mixing in with the likes of dln day and cj peter man you know it's the mix i think that is really adding to the game at the moment yeah, exactly, and 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 that's it. The I think that's what Lenta have kind of got spot on over the years. That that mix of the experience with the young lads coming through, because sometimes, and it happened to me when you're sometimes you get thrown in there and you're like, this is your chance. But you're mixed in there with a lot of young players, and everyone knows that if you play with good players, it's going to make you look better. So they're getting a nice uh, mix here going with, as you said, with the young lads. And, and it's Craig and Ben in experienced positions, uh, in, in, yeah, which you need a lot of experience in. And yeah, they're mixing in with, with the likes of Delande and Chris Farrell at 12, 13. And it's, it's just great to watch. And, but you can see that they're enjoying playing their rugby. I, I, I remember watching once a few years ago. And even when I was playing, like, I remember going out there and, and not, not really enjoying it, like, because it was kind of, the game plan, well, not the game plan. We just weren't enjoying what we were doing. And I think when you have a bit of variety in your game plan and you can see it working and, and like both of the players, we want to be innovative. We want to be creative. We don't want to just crash it up the whole time. Like, cause it's, it is boring. And if you, if you say every week, crash it up, crash it up, crash it up, it takes us toll mentally and physically. But when you have that little bit of, um, initiative at the moment which they are doing in their set piece the first phase second phase third phase attack you you get over the game line easier you also score first phase tries and i think that's what joe schmidt kind of nailed a few years ago like there was leinster and ireland were scoring first phase tries and getting easy seven points by doing a lot of innovative work off the field it's much easier like those young lads like ben and and um have come in and because munster have been on a good win streak you know their confidence grows week to week, but you can also it gives the coaches a, a bit more leeway to to be a bit more expansive to try you know better moves off of you know scrum and line out attack, um you know getting the fo- the forwards to get the ball out of their hands more. Whereas if you're you know winning one week, losing the next week, or poor performances where you're scraping over the line, teams start playing within themselves, and I think that's probably something that Munster did suffer from for a few years. Yeah, and, and Munster they scraped. Tr- like scraped through their first two matches. They just barely got wins, but wins just gives you confidence. And then they got two good wins. That's all of a sudden you're on a four week streak, a uh, winning streak. And then, yeah, as Matt says, it just grows in confidence. And this, I, I know we're talking about Craig and um, Ben, but like even when, when, when JJ's, JJ's come in, like JJ's kicking really well. He got golden boot last yeah. year. And you know what? It, it's good for JJ to have competition with Ben and Ben to have to be pushed by JJ. And they seem to be doing that all across the squad now where they have, when they can bring in um, different squad members and it's not weakening the squad at all. It's, it's, it's adding to it. And 
that's what that Leinster um, and you can even see Ulster doing that now as well. Um, they've got really good squad. squad but... I like what the the tens always give with the tens. Um you know, a bit of praise as well. You're always in a, in a difficult position and <laughs> under pressure in those situations and um, giving JJ the plug there. But also, Ian, you like you, Ian Madigan, you got 22 points last night and Keats, you know just how hard it is to get some points on the board in a very, very windy sports ground. Yeah, exactly. And before we got on, I, I said, well done to Matt, just in case people think that. <laughs> no. It, it, it is, uh, we actually played there with uh, Benetton a few weeks ago and it, the wind was, uh, honestly, you no, know, there's no word I was, twice as bad as what you suffered last night. And uh, we were playing into it and we literally couldn't get out our own half. And even though I've played in it, like I, I was juggling to, to kick the ball or I kick a restart up the middle of the field and the wind would just take it and I kicked one like kicking the ball up in the middle of the field and it was going out in the touchline. It was, it was crazy and it's, it's you need a little bit of luck. You do need to know how to play it. Um and I think Ulster played it really well last night and um it's people watching on you can't you actually can't see how windy it is when you're watching on TV or even if it's raining. I don't know, cameras these days look amazing because you look at a match, I look back at a match, I'm reviewing it, and I'm like, it's not even raining or windy in this, but you have to be there to experience it. And yeah, it's not a nice place to <laughs> not, not a nice place to go when it's rainy and windy up there. Did you find during your time in, in Connacht, did you feel like it was an advantage that like you, you kind of knew the, the slope and, and knew the wind, especially with goal kicking, um, but also with just general play, like it's 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 diff- very difficult for an out half going there to not have played in those conditions. You know, a lot of players now are used to playing in stadiums where the wind doesn't really get in. Find that that was a big advantage for you guys. I, I remember JJ asked uh, Roger a question about that with the wind, and Roger <laughs> Roger replied, "Goes." I don't play in those type of places. I play in stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what uh, Raj gave JJ in, in Galway. Um, but yeah, you do. And, and people just think it's like, yeah, you, obviously your kickers, your nines and tens need to need to know your, your strategy around kicking, but like the whole team needs to know. Most times in, into the into a wind or a thing, you you need zigzag patterns. You need to hit yeah. around the corner, then change direction. Maybe put even little grubbers through. Um, in a way, a little grubber through bringing on the full back is is another contestable. Um, but the whole team needs to know that if you're going one way, you you bring you you change the direction and put in a kick, and nobody's expecting it or nobody's chasing it. It looks like a really bad kick. So your whole team yeah. needs to be. Um, Thing. So on your question there, with Connacht, whenever we played uh, played up there and it was wet and windy, first of all you have to embrace it. If you're if you're going and you're like, oh my god, it's going to be a horrible night, you've you've almost you've you've nearly lost already. Uh, you have to embrace it. You have to. Everyone has to understand the game plan and what your your kicking strategy, and uh, and also people think that when you have the wind behind you, you're just going to kick the leather off the ball. It's actually a good time to to move the ball bring them forward and then put in the kick. So there's different strategies around playing into win. It's not just kicking the leather off the ball. Yeah, certainly. Like we found that, like when you're playing with the wind behind your back, they've got to cover the backfield. So quite often you'll find they'll have, you know, their winger back deep, their full back in the other corner, probably their nine 
because they've got to sit so deep, their nine's got to cover the chip line. So instead of attacking against 14, suddenly you're attacking against 12. So it's, you know, while people watching should be like, oh, they should be kicking it using the wind, that can actually be the best time to to attack and, and manipulate teams. Yeah, I understand. In Keatley, um, I'm sure you and Amanda and as backs relish the the uh, good weather and playing rugby in good weather, and I think that's one thing that the Rainbow Cup will bring to us or bring to you guys. Um, very exciting that they announced it. I suppose one positive is that it will be a summer tour. It'll give you guys an opportunity to head down as far as South Africa and play in some warm weather. Um, Keats, what is your opinion of the Rainbow Cup with the two pools of eight teams? Um, what's your opinion, first off, of the Guinness Pro 14 being cut short with the top two teams um, making the finals? Well, our season's not going too well at the moment, so I'm kind of happy it's going going to be cut short. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm kind of happy it's going to be cut short. But uh, do you know what? It's, it's so exciting. Uh, it's great for the sport. It's great for the players. As I said, I don't know how long more I've been playing, so I'm just so happy. Because I, I started off in uh, the Celtic League and then went to uh, Rabo or the Pro Direct. So, like, I've come from that going into now uh, a Rainbow Cup. I was like, this is this is cool. This is exciting. Uh, get to play, like, the top of the top of the South African teams, which is, is, is when you're younger, I think I had a Stormers jersey, um, so it's it's kind of cool to get to play play new teams, and uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be great for the competition, great for the game, and it's going to be great for for young players because I think the the Irish team only beat South Africa in South Africa there in a series there not too long ago, but now they'll be more regularly playing against these South African teams against these South African players, and they'll get more more used to playing against them. So. Um, it's going to be good for Irish rugby and it's going to be good for South Africa rugby and I thought it's going to be good for the game. Yeah, with, with obviously the, the Cheetahs and the Lions previously, how, how did you find those those kind of tours? Did you find they were kind of enjoyable, broke up the season or were they a bit of a nuisance? Um, the, the first one, uh, we just had my, my daughter, so I enjoyed the break away for two weeks, but my wife <laughs> Two weeks away, um, but uh, it, it, it was still a good experience. And because we both had uh, South African coaches at the at the time, we had Razi and we had um, with Johan van Graan. They actually were used to playing in those conditions. I, I know the Cheetahs you play in high altitude, and they had like really good game plans. Like the Cheetahs, they're like Cheetahs are called the Cheetahs because they want to play fast, they want to play expansive. So we had a game plan to like do the opposite like like in between plays we would slow everything down just get our rest like and it's cool you're obviously learning different tactics how to play against these teams um and we end up coming away with a win against the cheetahs in in uh, bloomfontein which i don't they hadn't lost there that season um so it was kind of cool and then we played um we played um uh, Sorry, the Kings. We played the Kings in uh, CJ Sanders' town, uh, where he came from, and that was packed and it was mobbed because they all came out for for CJ. And it was, it, once again, it was a cool experience and just going down. We also stayed in Cape Town for a week, and then we stayed in another place called Monte Cassino for a week, which is 
an indoor casino. So a lot of lads are out <laughs> gambling and eating. So losing their match fees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But the best thing was we on that um, on that tour we really became like like a close knit squad, which was great. Brilliant. Will the will it be three week tours you're going down for at this stage, or how long will the Rainbow Cup like when you travel? How long will you travel to South Africa for? I was talking to to Brian, who our manager last night. He thinks that it'll probably just be one week, so we'll have two pools of eight teams. Uh, so you'll have two South African teams in your pool. You'll play one of them at home, one of them away. So you probably the likelihood is we'll probably only be over there for a week, which is a pity. <laughs> yeah. You want a little bit of a holiday to a nice country. Um, from chatting to Marcus last night at the at your game, Ian, he was just the one thing that really worried him about the, the Rainbow Cup was one the amount of games that you guys have to play between the Pro 14 and between the Rainbow Cup. I think it amounts to over 150 games. Like that's a lot. Obviously, not every player will play that amount of games. But also, he had reservations about the the fixtures that come the end, come the final both the South African team and the team that makes, you know, makes it um, into the final, whether it's an Irish team or whatever, that they won't have their best players because they'll be gone selected for the, either the British and Irish lines or they'll be with the South Africans training. So like, would you, in Madigan, is that one thing that you'd worry about at the very end is that it actually won't be the two top teams with the full, full squad playing in the final? Yeah, I actually I didn't realize that that would be the case, but yeah, I think that that will definitely take from it a, a bit because, you know, traditionally for the, any of the um the Guinness Pro 14 finals or or the Premiership finals, the teams are able to retain all their players. Um so yeah, look, that will take from it, but at the same time it'll be great for for whatever players take uh to the field in that final. It'll be brilliant for them, you know. It gives other guys in the squad opportunities, and and the likelihood is, and Keats, you'll know this well, that like there's a large part of the squad who play, you know, twenty games in in the league. Quite often, come semi final or final time, internationals come back in, and they almost get cast to the side, and you know that can be really tough. Whereas you could have international guys who only play four or five games in the league throughout the season and then they're they're coming in from the for the semi-final and final and it is a bit unfair in the way so i think a big positive from that is that you know you'll see squad guys who've you know certainly earned their team getting to the to the final getting the opportunity to play so um that would be great to see that's a really great point dean yeah i didn't think about that and even like last year with leinster didn't ross Byrne actually got to start in the guinness pro 14 final um, because you know he got them there. With prayers the year previous, he had started all the games up until the up until the semi final, and then Johnny came back. So it's I suppose it's given those guys the opportunity because they've got them there in the first place. That's so a really good way, really good way of looking at it. Um, Ian Keatley, it is now time for the House of Rugby Challenge. Each week we asked our guests to talk about three items for us and hopefully there's a nice story behind each of them. The first piece is a piece of rugby memorabilia. The second, a jersey you've swapped and held on to. And the third is something non-rugby that you treasure. So we'll start off with the first bit, a piece of rugby memorabilia and the story behind it. Uh, this actually came from the coronavirus. Um, so I went home about... Well, it was obviously very bad initially, so we decided to go back home. And uh, my mom and dad have kept kept all my um, my like cutouts or newspapers like uh, cutouts from when I literally first started from like school rugby. Um, 
coming all, all the way up and uh, they, they didn't have time to organize it all. So they left it all in the, we have like a, a playroom at home. So during those two months, I, I went through everything and uh, organized all my cutouts, organized all like, all the, I had like jerseys there, I had medals, I had things and just, it just kind of reminds you of, of, of all the good times. Like it's so easy to remember all the bad times when it comes to go well or things, but like those, all those cutouts just reminded me of, of, of so many good memories and good times and organizing and going through photos of different matches and uh, it's just, just so good. And do you know what, when I'm thinking back at it now, like just playing in those, those early days, playing like schools cup rugby or, or I remember we went to an Ireland under 19 World Cup in Dubai when, and there's nothing, wasn't to do. Sorry, Matt, about this bringing up. The- <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> it was 15 yeah. years ago. <laughs> Who's who on the show? Mads? Okay, yeah, I'll bring it up. <laughs> no, no, but honestly, like, like obviously there's the pressure of like, not get Ruby in school. And you're going from first year to sixth year. Like, I want to win the senior cup. I want to win the senior cup. And um like there's but the pressures of like no money or like not get like the press never scrutinized you or, or anything like that just playing rugby for the fun of it back in those days when you're in school or on those under 19 world cups you're not you're not even thinking about jobs or anything like that or mortgages you're just you're just playing rugby for the, the love of it so going through all that memorabilia was just it was just so so, so good so so nice and so it kind of reminds you where you come from and the path you've taken. So, yeah, certainly. Like it's it's the I think schools rugby is just so pure. You're playing with your best mates, guys you've gone through school with for, um, you know, it could be ten, fifteen years by the time you're 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 definitely twelve years anyway. By the time you're playing senior cup and as you said, you're just putting everything in just to get a win and and it is it is a really special. Um, special time in, in your life and and I think once you move on and you join an academy and you move into a professional setup you'll never actually have that again um, and you know while it was tough losing that final tee in 2005 I've great memories of that year you know it was it was um, it was you know an, an incredible part of my my rugby journey and I'm similar to yourself I've all the cutouts my granddad does me up a uh, um, a kind of yearbook as such of any cutouts or any highlights and you know I, I certainly really cherish them Mads is that the year that you um, <laughs> you missed the kick post against Kilkenny no, College Eamon, no. and it was like five metres <laughs> <laughs> no Eamon that was two years later but thanks, for, oh thanks very God. much for bringing that up <laughs> oh <my God>. yeah. <laughs> Keith to fill you in on it the girls in the WhatsApp group were chatting last night about how well he was kicking in the sports grounds and then one of the girls went to Kilkenny College and said, I remember when he cried for weeks afterwards because he missed the kick in front of the goals. Like it was right in front of the goals, wasn't it, Ian? <laughs> it was right in front and it wasn't too far out. But um, yeah, look, it was, you know, we both know Keith, some, sometimes those misses make you, make you stronger and you learn a lot fr- from it. And um, I know for me at the time, it was particularly tough. I was, I was probably thinking, geez, maybe rugby's not for me. But um, look, you get over it and, and you, you, you find a way to, to improve and once you get into a professional setup you kind of figure out ways to improve your technique or improve your mental strength and 
Um, I probably look back on that and say, you know, in a, in a weird way, it could have been the best thing that happened to me. Keith, a jersey that you dropped <laughs> and held on. Um, well, so I actually, uh, I was thinking about this, and it's actually not one that I, not that I swapped, but uh, we all got given our Axel jerseys uh, when we played uh, after Axel passed away. We played against uh, Glasgow in the in the Champions Cup, and I don't, I can't really explain the day, or the atmosphere. It's just an unbelievable occasion, and um, yeah, it was, it was obviously everyone knows about how emotional those times were for us uh, in Munster. But um, that's probably a jersey that I'll, I'll definitely treasure with with Axel written on written on it, and um, I think that's probably my most treasured jersey now at the moment. Just that day and that that week, few weeks, and uh, it's probably. Yeah, it's a jersey that uh, I'd never swap or give away for no matter no matter amount of money. With the Axel thing, Keats, like that was such an emotional time. But as a squad, you really came together for that that Glasgow game. And even CJ, we had him on a few weeks back, and he he spoke about his influence and impact that he had on his career in his early career with Munster, and that he was really a support and like he was a crutch for him. Like as a manager, he was just a different type of manager. I suppose had you played with him before he was manager or was that was before your time? Uh, that was before my time. I think I saw it. Jeez, I'm not that old, guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you just talked about the Celtic Cup and everything. I was like, how long has he been playing? <laughs> but um, no, that was, uh, that was before my time. So, uh, but uh, I always remember what Anzan Road and Axel just with his with his scrum cap, his navy and red scrum cap, uh, he, he always like he always stuck out. And then um, I think I had him under my first Ireland A match. I think he was the forwards coach, and that's when I got to know him. And you actually got to know like everyone looks at Axel and you think like big, strong, hardy man, but he was actually like a little kid on the inside, and you really saw that. And I think that kind of, he kind of lost that kid. When he took over Munster, he kind of he didn't it didn't look like he he was enjoying his rugby, and maybe because the results weren't going well. But I think that the pressures of the game got to him because then when he when Razi did take over, and for, uh, Axel went back to more kind of coaching and and doing what he loved, like he was a coach, like he he's not a he doesn't like telling people that they're not playing. He doesn't like organizing all that. He loves coaching, and he was very good at that. And when Razi, as I said, when Razi took over, he went back to, you could see it in his smile. Uh, he was loving coaching again. And um, and then it's a pity then um, he passed away. That's why around that time, because he was, you could see it, he was enjoying rugby again. Absolutely. And it's really nice that it's a jersey that you've held on to instead of actually swapped and why it is so memorable. And finally, in what is something non-rugby that you treasure? Um. And I, this might be a bit, a bit corny and a bit cliche, but um, first thing when uh, obviously Lisa went back home with uh, my daughter to have uh, our, our son, I, I've been here. I was here for like four months, and I was literally on my own. And it's great because you you go with the lads, you can concentrate in rugby, but then you come home and the house is empty, and oh, it's like there's no atmosphere in your house, so. 
I know it's a bit cliche, but you you have to like your your family and uh, your, your like even my parents. I haven't seen them in in ages, and um, you just you really notice it when you move away from from Ireland, or even when I went to Limerick. Like, like your close friends from Dublin, like you still see them, but you miss them. So, and then obviously said as I said there, those last four four months away from my family were. Probably don't realize you don't realize it until you move away from home, uh, how much they mean to you and stuff like that. So that's probably my treasured um, item, or not even an item. Yeah, big time. You hit the nail on the head there. You know, it's it's really when you move away, you realize how special Ireland is and how much you cherish being around your friends and your family. And um, you know, for me, moving back and being back in Belfast and being able to get down the road to to see friends and family, it's. It's something I don't take for granted now, and I probably did take it for granted before I moved away. So, I think having that realization and, and appreciation for it is is you know one of the great things you get from having moved away. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and even the even the humor here, or like I could be cracking jokes, and the Italian boys don't get it. So, <laughs> <laughs> mate, that was the same when you were here. <laughs> 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 How's your Italian? <laughs> uh, Have you learned much Italian when you've been over there? Yeah, well, I, I I know how to communicate like on the rugby pitch. So like I've just picked up loads of words, and then even when I'm like talking to people outside of rugby, like I'm still using like a rugby lingo in my conversation just to try and get by. But uh, I can I can understand it quite quite well in there which is which is really good like so when people are talking to us like Lisa and my wife is always like what do they say and I can I can I can translate what they said but it's just like constructing a sentence and with the with the verbs thoughts it's it's quite difficult it's it's hard without using French. rugby terminology without using rugby terminology and actually talking properly to someone and not sounding like a baby when you're talking is <laughs> But uh, it's, uh, it, listen, Italy's been great. I've I learned, like, I've, I was just so glad to get out of the Irish system or the bubble for a while and to go and experience it. And as I said, I me and Matt talked about it, you kind of appreciate Ireland a lot more once, once you move. But I'm glad, um, I'm glad I tried it. I'm glad I tried Italy out. And, um, and I'm just glad now my family's over and. Um, I'll be looking forward to moving back to Ireland in, in the near future. Very good. Well, Ian, it's been great having you on. Cheers for coming on and having a chat with us today. Thanks, Mel and Emer. Thanks, Mads. Uh, best of luck for the, for the rest of the season, Emer and Mads. And uh, sure, I'll chat to you soon. Yeah, thanks a million for coming on. I look forward to catching up in the new year, Keats. Enjoy the time with the family there, bud. See you guys. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks so much. Cheers to everybody for watching and listening. Don't forget you can continue to get involved in our Facebook group and on Twitter. A big huge thank you to producer Pat, Paul, Colm, Anthony, Paddy and everyone that helped getting this show together. This has been House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness. Slaw Gafo. Slaw. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness. Game changed.